Doc Ryan Expedition 44. I was at a conference a couple weeks ago and I made a statement something to the point of whether or not you believe Adam and Eve were the first human beings dot 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 and I've said that before and I think I've written it in a couple articles and maybe a book and things like that and I often get people kind of scratch their head that aren't kind of aware of this debate and so there's a couple questions when you read the Adam and Eve story and you kind of get into creationism, Genesis 1 through 3. One is, were Adam and Eve the first human beings? Does it matter? Two, were Adam and Eve real people or is this kind of just a typological example? Next, what about science? Does science agree with the Bible? I could make tons of videos on that one. And lastly, how should we best interpret Adam and Eve? So when I look at Genesis 1 through 3, specifically the story of Adam and Eve, I have kind of a basic four-point premise. First, I believe God created Adam and Eve by his direct hand and his image, and they are actual people, but they also serve as topology. They were the first priests in the line of the Messiah, which I think is the most important, but likely not the first people on earth. And that's what I'm going to talk about in this video. Second, I believe that God inaugurated creation in seven days. This is a picture of a cosmic temple. Third, the focus on Genesis 1 through 3 is about God's relationship with humankind and not necessarily the details of building creation. We get that story, but what should trump it is the primary message of God's intimate relationship with us. The Bible therefore becomes a love story of God reclaiming the treasured possession of humanity that was lost. And I like to frame this in a house versus home story, but that might be a whole nother video. Genesis 1 through 3 specifically should be read in light of its intended audience. This is an ancient near Mesopotamian Israelite culture. So when we approach this, the big question is, does science agree with scripture? Now, personally, I don't really feel like that's big on my list. Like, you know my perspective that, that I'm just an alien traveling in this world and I want less of the world and as much of, you know, Jesus' life as I can get. And so, so I've never been one. I, I enjoy science. I watch Mark Roberg on YouTube with my kids all the time, but I don't, I don't have to come to the place of science in my life. I don't spend hours studying science. I spend hours in intimacy with Jesus. So that trumps everything. So I think it's important to say that, you know, first and foremost, but that's not everybody's case. And so if you do need to reconcile the Bible with science, I'm, I'm going to present some ways that you can do that. So when I asked the question first that I started with, are, are Adam and Eve the first people I want to start out with just a very basic philosophical argument and this is one that any kind of any person can understand and so one time-tested thing I've done is whenever I meet little kids that don't seem to know anything about the Bible, they don't know the stories, anything else, it's kind of been a uh, experiment of mine to read Genesis 1 through 3 to them and ask to them tell me the story now and it's really interesting when they get to Adam and Eve 
What they would tell you is God created humankind on day six in chapter one, rested on the seventh day, and then he created Adam and Eve. Why would they say that? Well, that's just simply the way that we read the story. That's the way that we would read any book. We would read Genesis 1 and then we would continue the story to what comes afterwards. But traditionally that's not how people always read it. They read chapter 1 and then they, they think that chapter 2 goes back and kind of gives the details of chapter 1. But you, you get into some problems when you do this. So. There's another thing I want to show you, so that's just kind of the philosophical argument that I think holds water, but I also want you to consider more of a Hebraic thought pattern here. So in Genesis 2-4 it says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth, and they were created when the Lord God made the earth and heavens. So the, the word I want you to really kind of camp out there is account. In Hebrew that's toledah, and this word is a formula that we get. So it's it's kind of this idea of generations or descendants. So this is the the story of generations or descendants and the word is it, it introduces a formula that we see in the Bible. We see this over and over in Genesis. Genesis 2-4 is the first one, but then we get Genesis 5-1, Genesis 6-9, Genesis 10-1, Genesis 10 32-11-27, 25-12, 25-19, 36-1, 36-9, and 37-2. Over and over, when we see Tola Day, it tells a story and then afterwards it kind of gives a genealogical development. So this is important because it's a, a narrative section that kind of goes through there. It doesn't go back and tell the details of it, it tells it more like a normal story. That's important to read it as the Toledah formula because it's the way that you would read all of Genesis. So my point is it doesn't make sense to read Genesis 1 and 2 differently than you would read the rest of these exact formulas that we get in Genesis. In fact, I would even argue that that's really a poor hermeneutic. Now, that's not the only reason in Scripture. There's another one. Richard Deem kind of brings this out, that when you read Genesis 2, if you're going to say that that happened in one day of creation, there's just too much to get done. You have the, the garden that needs to grow, and you would think this would take more than 24 hours. And that word is kind of this idea that things are being budded, brought to life in a natural form. And so that really can't happen in 24 hours. But that's not the only thing. Adam also has to name all the animals. And so there are 14,600 species that I would say were there. And if you're going to go young earth, you also have to account for the fossil record. So to sum it up, those things don't seem like they can happen in one literal day. So then you look at the possibilities. Well, what could happen? Well, one option is day-age day theory. But again, if you're young Earth, you're not going to like day-age because essentially what that says is that the days can be more than one day as, as perhaps as a thousand years, perhaps as a million or a billion years. So you're opening up the door to things happening more. But you could say that Genesis 2 was recounting Genesis 1 if they're longer days. And that's where the day-age theory kind of 
comes from. But let's get back to Adam and Eve. I, I'll kind of finish with some of those other creationist ideas, but I want to, at least at the beginning of the film, stay focused on Adam and Eve. So, Adam and Eve, let's, let's get back to this. Were they the first humans? Genesis 2 is a more detailed version of Genesis 1, or do you read it that way? So first, let's say it is a more detailed version of Genesis 1, the way that you've traditionally read it. And to me, the biggest reason to believe that Adam and Eve were real humans and that it happened this way as the first people is when you read Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15, it would seem like Paul and a lot of the Second Temple uh, writers and the early church believed that Adam was the first person. Now this isn't a totally bomb-proof argument because we get kind of a narrative in writers. And so the book of Job, Job seemed to believe fully that God blessed those who are righteous. That's called the retribution principle. And, and that's kind of stated at the beginning of Job as if it were fact, so to speak. But then the whole book of Job kind of goes back and says, not so quick. God doesn't necessarily have to operate that way. So then you kind of go back at the beginning and you read, oh, that's Job's thoughts on it, not necessarily God's thoughts on it. And people have questioned that with uh, Pauline authorship for a long time of what are Paul's thoughts and what, what is kind of the command or the way of the Lord here. So you kind of get through that. But there's also another reason why I say this isn't a bomb-proof passage. And if you kind of, if you read it to say that Adam is the first man and that Christ would be the last man, obviously that's not, that doesn't make sense philosophically. We know that Christ died on the cross and hey, I'm one of them. There are lots of men that came after that. And so, you know, philosophically, hermeneutically, if you're making one statement that you're saying this verse says that Christ was the first man, then in the same way, you'd also have to say that Christ was the last man. And so you come back to it theologically and you say, well, that's not what the statement it's all about. It's about Christ's deity. And it's the, you know, the, the reference to Adam as, you know, the first man, meaning a more generic Adama rather than, you know, Adam as a person. So there is a controversy going over there. I could make a whole film just about that one. Maybe eventually I will. So then your second consideration is Adam and Eve weren't the first persons. Why do I even think that? Well, I already shared the first reason that just if you just read it in plain day, it seems to read that way. But there's some other problematic things about the passage that lead me to go that way. Adam and Eve had two children initially. We all know the story, Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel and then he feared for his life that he might be murdered. So when God banished him into the world, God marked him as a sign to others, don't murder him. Now, Cain also ended up marrying somebody and starting his own family. So let me ask you a question. Who did he have to fear? Who would murder him? If the only people alive on the earth, according to the traditional interpretation, are Adam and Eve, Cain, Abel was dead, then we have a little bit of a problem there. Now, sometimes people say, well, this happens over a time period, and you might even take 130 years, and if you do the math in Genesis 5, you might count 13 siblings altogether. It still doesn't seem possible, even over that time period, for, for that to happen. And then you also have the problem of incest. So typically, when God gives a command, like he does in Leviticus 18, that incest 
is a sin, it doesn't work. Previously to that, he's not going to be okay with it. God's character, God's ways don't change that way. That's, you know, an attribute of God, un unchangeable. And so you're going to get into a, a major problem with God's character if you take that on. And so there's also the issue in Genesis 4.16 about Cain building a city. How does he build a city even if it is you know, the offspring of 13 children over 130 years, that still doesn't really seem possible. When we view city, and I would even argue that the, the biblical words here in Hebrew for city, they're, they're not just an encampment or a small thing, it's a city. And so it would seem like the most natural solution is to read it like we read anything else, and then also to see that humans were created on day six, and there are a multitude of them. And then it seems like a time period might even go by here before we get to Adam and Eve. And then we hear the story of Adam and Eve and they come that they might rule over and that would give Adam somebody to rule over if there are already people there. So high garden, king, priest language and he's going to rule over to cultivate and keep the rest of the earth. So. Honestly, science and archaeology would seem to also better point in that direction. Now, there's also some other things that I want to talk about. So that's the basic preface right there, but then as I present that, people are going to say, well, what about this? What about that? So one of the things is that Genesis tends to have a lot of things borrowed from other cultures. Now, I love this about the Bible that, that Jesus and, and God tend to meet people where they are. And they, God's not interested in changing people overnight as much as he is as a steady one step in the right direction. And so Genesis has some, some elements that we kind of read that are very similar to other other stories of an antiquity, such as the Babylonian creation story and the Enuma Elise and the story of Gilgamesh. And so what do you do with that? I do think that there is a passed over element of lore as, as you know, these, you know, the, the day, uh, the young earth people would say that the creation story, you know, and, and everything else is, is roughly four to 6,000 years. And I, I believe that too from Adam. I believe from the time that we kind of get the story of Adam, we're, we're definitely looking at a young earth model. What I don't know is how long it took before that. And I'll, I'll get into that a little bit more. But as things are passed over from generation to generation, you may not be aware of this, but our, the manuscripts we have of the Bible are not that old. They're basically second temple period manuscripts. And so we're talking about thousands of years of things being being carried over. And I don't want to necessarily get into a, a discussion here on inspiration or inerrancy. That video is coming in the future. But for now, I'm just going to kind of leave you with that, that things are passed over a little bit and you kind of get these stories and maybe there's something going on there. You also have this bone or rib conversation. The Hebrew word there is sela. Uh, it appears 40 times in the Bible. And it's a weird word to use for how Eve is being created. So it, it gets scholars to kind of scratch their head and go, what does this mean? Is it, it's translated rib when Eve shows up, but it's 
that's the only time in the Bible translations that we get that translation. And so you kind of wonder what that means. Like I said, it's kind of a stranger use of it. So you have a couple different things going on. One of them is it could be a baculum. A baculum is the bone, uh, kind of a reproductive bone that mammals have. And, you know, human males don't have that. So it could possibly be that that was the bone that was given up. That's just one theory to it. But it doesn't really necessarily matter, but I go with, you know, that word selah meaning side. And so you kind of have the creation of one side, two sides together. In God, they make one. So I like that. The other question you're going to say is, is, is this a real story of Adam and Eve? And this gets into a little bit of the wording with Adam. I've got another video that talks about that, where it kind of gets really into the, the Hebrew words of Adam. And I'm just going to say, I do personally believe that they are real people, but I also believe that there's, you know, things handed over from story to story that we kind of, you know, have the, the, the melding of the different stories. And that's why it comes off sometimes to some people as myth or lore, but I don't think that's only what it is. There's also a discussion of topology here is obviously there is, you know, Christ was a, uh, a, Adam was a type of Christ. And so you have a topology archetype thing going on, but that doesn't, you know, count out that they weren't real people. Now, with that being said, like, I'm actually okay with it just being kind of an archetype story that they don't have to be real people. I personally, in my theology, I, I don't think it takes away from the Bible if you go that way. If you just decide that it's it was kind of an archetypical story talking about it. But I'm going to say like the genealogies in 1 Chronicles 1 and Luke 3, they treat Adam as historical. And for if, if I don't have any other reasons, that's enough to make me kind of lean that way. And so um, it just seems like that's the best interpretation. So another question, and this is a little bit of a squirrel moment, but it, it's also early Genesis as global flood. And so science would tell you that the last time the entire planet was covered was billions of years. Ago. Now, if you need to reconcile the Bible with science, you can easily be a, a day-age person, like I said, that the days were longer than that. Or you can just say that the creation story, you know, the first, the first six and then God rested, Genesis 1 basically, could have taken a lot longer than a literal day. And so some people would do that, and that gives you an interpretation for the Bible agreeing with science. So if you want to go that route and you believe in science and you want to see the Bible agree, that might be a way you can do that. That is reconcilable within Scripture. Some people are going to, the, the um, early earth people are really going to argue with me on that one, but you can still be, in my opinion, a creationist and take that approach. Um, it could also be, this is one you don't hear very often, but it could also be that God created the earth as if it were old. He created it kind of, let's say that he creates it and he speeds it up in his time. Usually we see God going the other way. God slows down in time, but this could be that he kind of sped up. And so what he did, some uh, early church people think it might have been instantaneously. Other people say it might actually taken the six days of creation, but it had the appearance as if it was created old. So that's one uh, one idea that you could take and still, you know, kind of agree with science, but also 
agree with God and the scripture. So I don't, I don't get hung up in this unlike some people, and if you do, you're welcome to figure that out. I'm okay with it if I just know that God's hand was in it. Like, I'm okay with God being able to work within anything as long as we're saying that it was God that was doing it and it wasn't just some chance or some crazy thing that happened. Now, that's more than I think a lot of Christians are willing to do, but I would argue that that has been the popular sentiment for most of time until just recently. So, there's another question of priest, king, temple, theology. The Bible doesn't come right out and say why Adam and Eve were special. It kind of leaves us to do that. So we've, we've got some options. Were they special because they were the first human beings? Maybe. I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, I'm not ruling that out. Um, if I get to heaven and God says, oh yeah, Adam and Eve were the first human beings, like, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be all right with that. But there's some other things that you might consider. Um, they might be the story of Christ's lineage, as I said, the, the seed that goes to Noah and eventually the Messiah. They're probably the vocation of the image bearer and that language of reigning and ruling is going to establish them as the first priest. That's the one that I like to go with the most. Or you could just be reading the story of sin entering into the world. Maybe Adam and Eve are special because they're showing the story of how we lost and how we need to regain it. So those are kind of your options with why we have the story in Adam and Eve, what makes them special. As I mentioned earlier, some people kind of, when they get to what makes them special, they, they kind of get hung up on the architecture type language and John Walton is kind of the one that's associated with archetype placement of Adam and Eve and you know and in other cases I might say that you know my view is that they were real people but they're also a lot of topology going on so you can kind of look at this when you see Genesis 2 7 the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and you know you kind of kind of get that word dust is is kind of being a version or you know, it can't be formed into, into a shape like clay can. So what does it mean? It's, it's likely a reference to Adam's mortality, which is, like I said, it's going to play into the Christ-type themes later when we get there. So it's topology that we really need. I've mentioned day-age theory a couple times. Is that a viable option? What is it? Well, as a Hebrew person, I don't like the day-age theory because it kind of hinges on the translation of the Hebrew word yom. And that's, that's the word that we kind of get for day. And it's best interpreted in that day. It's a Hebrew idiom, and that's why it's a problem. We don't really have this in English, but I would say the best thing that we have is when I say when. When this happened, it would be in that day. And so it's this idiomatic expression that it just doesn't seem to work for the, for the day-age interpretation of day being a, a longer section than that. And so personally that leaves me saying I, I don't know about that. Now that's not ruling out that days can't be longer. It's just saying that the Hebrew uh, is it's like a, a rock solid support. And the reason I mention this is that a lot of times when day age people first hear that, they say the Hebrew would support day age. And I would just kind of say, I'm not sure that it necessarily does. I'm not sure that it adequately 
supports it or doesn't support it, but the problem is that's kind of where the day-age interpretation comes from, and it's just not it's just not bomb-proof. But again, I don't rule it out. I mean, again, if I get to heaven and talk to God and he says, oh yeah, it took me billions of years to create the world in, in your time, like, I'm going to be okay with that. It's still the hand of God and how he chooses to operate, and that would actually be in keeping with the way that we read in Scripture that God's time tends to be a little bit slower than what we want to see God's time be. This does open the door to theistic evolution, and that's what people, you know, particularly young earth people, they don't want to open this door at all, but we need to just kind of say, what does this mean? So when you say theistic evolution, you could be talking about fully gifted creation. Biologos is one of the terms that you kind of get that. So it's essentially theistic evolution is the old earth creationist belief that God used the process of evolution to create life on earth. Personally, I don't usually go this way. I, I, I tend to be more of a young earth person with the exception that I really see that from the time Adam and Eve were created till now. I see the earth being six to eight, maybe as many, usually under 10,000 years is what a young earth person is. But what makes me not a young earth is that I'm open to Genesis I, I put Genesis 2 separate from Genesis 1, and so I see the creation process as taking as long as God needs it to take. I don't, I don't necessarily need those to be literal days, but honestly, I lean towards them being literal days. So my only, my only difference there might be that I'm, I'm not, most young earthers are really tried and true on saying this is the only way it can be, and I'm open to God using other ways or taking longer if that's what God wants to do. So am I a tried and true young earth person? No, I'm, I'm open to God being active through other ways. As long as it's God doing it, I'm okay with that. Who am I to put God in a box? And so when you get to this um, theistic evolution, there's all kinds of different thought patterns out there. And that's why I say it's hard to even talk about it because Different people believe so many different, varied degrees of theistic evolution. But many theistic evolutionists believe that God set in motion the laws of nature that led to evolution, um, but he didn't take an active role in guiding this evolutionary process. He kind of like set it up and then stepped out of the way and let it evolve, literally. Others believe that God actively guided the evolutionary process. So this is kind of more known as uh, evolutionary creationism. And is there anything in scripture to hint that way? Well, there kind of is. So when you read the specific accounts of day three, day five, and day six, you get this picture that looks a lot like the way that people describe theistic evolution. So let's just read the first one. This is day three. It's Genesis 1, 11 through 13. And it says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind, the seed in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding, seed after his kind and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after this kind god saw it and it was good and the evening and the morning were the third day and then if you read the 
fifth and sixth days, they take on that exact same wording. So when I read this, it looks like God told the earth to bring forth vegetation. And in verse 12, the earth does that. We don't get the picture that it's God. We get the picture that God starts this process and then lets the earth do it. And so to a theistic evolutionist, that would be their proof reading the scripture in those three days that that's what it looks like. So do I have any, any hesitancy with young earth? I've kind of already explained my hesitancy. One of them is that they say it could be between six and 10,000 years. That seems like a broad area, but not as broad as Evolution. Evolution is sometimes it's three billion, sometimes it's four point six billion. So they're even they're even a longer one. So can we possibly ever find out exactly how old the Earth is? I would say no, and I, I'm not overly interested in that. Now, literal six days. Um, I think it. I think that's viable. I think that could have happened. We're going to have to explain where science doesn't agree with that. So if you have to agree with science, then you become a day age person or a theistic evolution person, but you still believe in God. So again, I would say I'm simply a creationist. I don't usually put myself in the young earth camp, although I'm not far from the young earth camp. Um, what about the early church fathers? Irenaeus claimed the days were not literal. That might surprise you. He would go with that thousand year period. Justin Martyr also went with the thousand year interpretation. Clement of Alexandria believed that the days of Genesis 1 were totally figurative. Philo of Alexandria is also going to kind of go with an instantaneous thing. I kind of alluded to that earlier, that God said it and it was done. Uh, St. Athanasius, Origen, St. Augustine, you're going to get that in all of their writings, more of this instantaneous. So they're not, they're not technically going to be young earth people either. They're going to believe a different version of that. Like, could it have been inst instantaneous from my perspective? Sure, why not? I could go with that. Um, Augustine claimed that all seven days were called one day in Genesis 2. So he's rereading Genesis 2 as an interpretation of one. I don't agree with that. I think it's better just to read it, as I've said, as a book. But you get a lot of different perspectives of kind of a narrative structure of Genesis 1. And my point is that this, this has kind of been open to interpretation for a long time. And you look at all these early church fathers and none of them would have been in the young earth camp. They all would have been someplace else, very similar to where I stand, and there's been varying degrees of what you interpreted Genesis 1 to 3 to be. So we mostly struggle with this concept of Adam and Eve and ancient things because we think in terms of Western cosmology and we get very hung up in platonic logic. And I've, I argue in almost every video I make, this is not a good place to be, that we need to bring ourselves to the mind of an ancient Near East culture, Mesopotamian type culture in Hebraic thought, and then you would understand the creation story better the way that it was presented. And you can't, you, you, we want to read it like a history or a science book, but again, that's, that's not the intention. And you have to always in 
theology and hermeneutics say, what's the main intention of this study? What's the main intention of the writing? Don't take too much out of that. So, you know, the Bible describes the earth as sitting above deep waters and fears connecting to the heavens. You know, it sounds kind of like mythology, you know, it kind, kind of talks, some people say that sounds like flat earth, you know, and we know better now. And, you know, again, I just go back that God was meeting people with the understanding and the place where they were. So sometimes that means borrowed words, ideas, he's going along with kind of what they thought, but it's, it's not, it's not changing all those things. We don't see the Bible like, you know, kind of changing you know, slavery is one of them that you kind of see. Women's roles, you know, all of that. Eventually, I think it's going to get to those things, teaching those in the New Testament, but it's a long picture of sanctification. So our goal should be to understand the story. It was given to the intended audience as a love story, regaining what was lost in the garden and that God's intimate relationship with us is going to be manifested in his gift to us, Christ on the cross. And I write this as we are going into an Easter weekend. And I uh, just this morning was writing articles on what that means. And Jesus makes this a completely whole picture. And when he does that, we should be all in. And the whole message of the creation story is that God created all of this whole so that he could partner with us. And that was lost. And the big picture of the story is in love. He wants to regain that intimate relationship, his treasured possession. And we see that through a work of lifelong and eschatological sanctification. And someday we will reign and rule with him as the original intention in the newly created heavens and earth. May the Lord bless you and keep you.